turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. You know what is so marvelous about Christianity? Listen to how it's distinguished from all other world religions. All other world religions, people are constantly striving and working hard to get to God. It's all about works, performance, duty, obligation, trying to have your good works outweigh your bad works so that you can get to God. You know the marvel of Christianity? God knew we couldn't do that because we don't have the capacity to be good enough or do enough things to get to Him. So what does He do? He comes to us. Christianity stands out among the religions of the world because it's not about what you can do. There's no list of behaviors and rituals that you must perform in order to be redeemed. In fact, as Pastor Gary will point out today, it's really all about the God in charge. Buddha didn't die for his followers. Hindu gods haven't been sacrificed to save people. But God did the work. He saw the problem. So he offered his own son in our place. Jesus came and obediently died so that you could have life. And that's all you need. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Jesus is the divine expression of God. And then John goes on here to write in verse 30 that he is also creator. Because it tells us in verse 3, through him all things were made, all things. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Uh, it tells us in Colossians 1, 15 to 17, that Jesus was the one as part of the Godhead who had the responsibility and privilege of actually creating the universe. When you look at the Genesis account, the creation of the universe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And John is actually going back further than any of the other Gospels. Did you recognize that? Because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew and Luke go back to the birth of Jesus when God enters the world through a virgin. John doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus. John doesn't talk about the baptism of Jesus. John doesn't talk about the parables of Jesus. John doesn't talk about the Last Supper. John doesn't talk about Jesus interacting and and confronting demons. John doesn't talk about Jesus ascending into heaven. He's got a whole different angle here. But John goes back further than the other Gospels. The other Gospels refer to the birth of Jesus or at the beginning of his ministry. John goes all the way back to in the beginning. Now, not in the beginning of creation, but in the beginning before time. Jesus has always existed being co-equal and co-eternal with God. 
And he's the one who had the distinct privilege of actually speaking the world into existence. Of the Godhead, who was the one responsible for creating the universe? It was Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. This is what it says. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Even the very fact that, that we are still held together as a universe is because of the ongoing power of the Lord Jesus to keep all things together. Okay? One day it's going to spin all out of control because he's going to take his hand off of it, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, but that's for another Bible study. So he's also not only God, he's also creator. We also see here in verse 4, that he is life. In verse 4, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now, circle the word life, and in the margin of your Bible, write the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E, zoe. Sometimes today it's become a popular girl's name. Uh, and Versus bios in the Greek. There are two words in the Greek for life, zoe and bios. We only have one word in English. In many ways, the English language is very limited. The Greek language is very rich. For the word love, they have four different kinds of words to describe and distinguish between what kind of love are you talking about. You know, when I say I love my wife, that's one kind of love. When I say I love ice cream, that's another kind of a love. But we have the same word for, for expressing ourselves on different kinds of, in different kinds of ways. The Greek language, very rich. They have two words for life. One is zoe and one is bios. Bios is biology. It's the study of life. That's human life. Bios has a beginning and an end. Bios is on a timetable. Zoe speaks of something different and deeper than biological life. Zoe speaks of something that is eternal, something that is richer, something that is more sustainable than biological life. And that is the word that is most often used in the Gospels to describe what we have in relationship with Jesus. The, when it speaks in, in the Bible about the crown of life, it is Zoe. When it talks about eternal life, the word life is Zoe. In Revelation, when it talks about the tree of life, it is Zoe. When it speaks about the book of life, it is Zoe. Okay? What Jesus offers us is more than just breath. That's bios. That's physical existence. What Jesus offers us is something deeper. That's why in John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief, meaning Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life. It is the word Zoe. And to have it more abundantly. It is something greater than just biological life. If this world was only about being born and dying, how pitiful would that be? But life, the greatest kind of life, is found in Jesus Christ that transcends this, this lifetime and is of a deeper value than what we presently experience in terms of physical biology. And that's what he's come to offer. He's come to offer life. And without Jesus, we're dead. Without Jesus, we are dead. And as well, without Jesus, we are in darkness. Because number four, John says that Jesus, the word, is also light. He uses that word seven times in the first nine verses. In verse four... 
For in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Verse 6, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. Now, this is John the Baptist, okay? This is not, he's not referring to himself. The writer of the Gospel of John is not the same John there in verse 6. Verse 6 is a reference and following to John the Baptist, which we'll get to later in chapter 1. But it says in verse 7 that he came, John the Baptist came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him all men might believe. He himself, John the Baptist himself, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So Jesus is the light of the world. That's how he identifies himself. John 8, 12, John 3, 19 to 21, John 12, 35 to 36. In John 3, 19, Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. In John 8, 12, It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So without Jesus, we're dead and we're in darkness. With Jesus, we have life and we have light. We see things. We come into truth. We come into light. And then also, number five, John says here that the word is also Jesus is Savior. Uh, Between verses 12 and 13, he, he writes this where he says, yet to all who received him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then he adds here in verse 13, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. He says three things about this kind of of salvation. This is not something that is orchestrated by human will or human design. This is a spiritual birth that happens when we are saved. That's why he points out there in verse 13, it is not of natural descent. King James says it is not of blood, and actually in the Greek, it's plural. It says not of bloods, plural. It's a, it's a peculiar translation. It could mean bloods, plural, because mother and father, the combination of DNA. This is not some kind of a, salvation is not a human kind of a, of a thing. Verse 13, number two, he says, nor of human decision. King James says, nor the will of the flesh. And, and he also says, nor a husband's will. King James says, nor the will of man. So salvation is, when God saves us, it is a spiritual supernatural thing. It is not just something that happens by human design or or human physical uh, connection, but this is something that God does in a supernatural, miraculous way. Number six tells us that the word is also human. And this is a mystery, but he tells us in verse 14 that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Notice that. The Word became flesh, took on skin. The Word, Logos, this great intelligent reasoning behind the universe. He's saying to his readers of the first century, he says to us, this great intelligent reasoning of of the universe actually took on flesh, comes into our world, becomes humanity. You know what is so marvelous about Christianity? Listen to how it's distinguished from all other world religions. All other world religions, people are constantly striving and working hard to get to God. It's all about works, performance, duty, obligation, trying to have your good works outweigh your bad works so that you can get to God. You know the marvel of Christianity? God knew we couldn't do that because we don't have the capacity to be good enough or do enough things to get to him. So what does he do? He comes to us. 
And that's what John is saying here. The word became flesh. God comes to us, dwelt among us. The Greek word to dwell is skenu. It literally means to tabernacle among us. It translates literally like to pitch a tent. He came, he pitched a tent as in the flesh of our bodies, like a tent. And God then enters this tent, this body of flesh, takes on our life, comes into our world to die for our sins. This is rich doctrine right here, folks. John is expressing himself to us in a way that is profound, where he speaks here of the incarnation It's a fancy word. It just means when God takes on flesh and he comes among us to be among us. But it is that mystery. God is fully God. Jesus is fully God and yet fully man. He is the God man. And Paul will write about that in 1 Timothy 2.5 when he said to Timothy, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. When you read the account of his life and ministry throughout the Gospels, Jesus very much demonstrates the characteristics of humanity. He walks a long distance, he perspires. He goes a long period of time, he gets hungry. Um, He he gets tired, he he takes naps, he goes to sleep. He he takes on flesh and you see that the Godhead here represented in the second person of Jesus being fully God yet fully man. So he's not this you know, mysterious, just spirit being, Jesus, in the text here, takes on flesh, God comes among us, dwells among us, tabernacles among us, and he adds there that we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. It's the last one on our list, number seven. He is the one and only of God. If you have a King James Bible, it says the only begotten. And, and actually, I think the NIV does a better job translating it. Because when we think about the old English word begotten, that sounds like, um, you know, somebody begat somebody. That sounds like procreation. And it has the idea that Jesus was created. Jesus was not created. He always has existed, being co-eternal and co-equal with God from the very beginning, before time. He's not created here. So the word begotten can have that connotation. It is, it is the Greek word monogonis, and it means literally pertaining to being the one and only of its kind or class. That's what that Greek word means, pertaining to being the one and only of its kind or class. In other words, that Jesus was divinely and exclusively from God and is God, and there is no other. Like, could there be another Messiah? Could there be another Jesus? Could there be another one dying on a cross for us? No, never has been, never will be. He's the one and only. And John uses that phrase, one and only, or if you have a King James Bible, uses only begotten four times in the first couple of chapters. Here is one of them. Verse 18 is another one. Chapter 3, verse 16. Chapter 3, verse 18. So it is, it is a phrase that he likes to repeat a few times because he wants us to know Jesus is exclusively, uniquely, the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's no match to him. He is co-equal and co-eternal with God. And he adds there in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. But in contrast to the law, he says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
You know, the, the law was given to us, the, Paul says, to lead us to Christ. Because the more you read the law of God in the Old Testament, the more exasperated you become and you realize, man, I can't live up to the standard of God. These are a lot of rules and regulations. Yeah, because God is expressing his holiness and character through the law. But he realizes that we are incapable, humanly speaking, of measuring up to the standard of God. We don't throw the law out. The, the moral component of the law is still intact. But knowing that we could not perform enough to get to God, God comes to us, takes on flesh, dies on a cross for our sins. That's grace and truth. And Jesus comes full of grace and truth. He doesn't come just full of truth or just full of grace. You have grace without truth, that's a mess. You have truth without grace, that's a mess. But you have grace and truth, that's the beautiful balance of who Jesus is. He comes with grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, there's that phrase again, who was at the Father's side has made him known. So that's there in verse 17 where, he's, where John finally puts a name to Logos. John says he's, he's all these things. He's God, he's creator, he's life, he's light, he's savior, he's human, he's the one and only of God. He is Jesus Christ. And then reading on here, verse 19, now this was John's testimony. Now we're talking still here about John the Baptist. This was John's testimony. When the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, who are you? Then who are you? Are you Elijah? Now that is a decent question, by the way, because when the angel Gabriel came to John the Baptist's father before John the Baptist was born. He comes to Zechariah and he announces to Zechariah that your wife Elizabeth is going to conceive in her old age. She's going to have a child. Zechariah didn't believe it at first and he was made mute until John was born. And Gabriel said that he will come, this is Luke 1, 17, that he will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. That John the Baptist will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. The last of the prophets was Elijah. Because even at the end of Malachi, Malachi talks about the coming of the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah is a great Bible study on his own because I do believe he's one of the two witnesses mentioned in Revelation chapter 11, Elijah and Moses. So Elijah will come again. We see Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration too. Remember with Elijah and Moses? Elijah and Moses are seen there on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. So Elijah's not done, although he's in heaven now, that he is going to make another reappearance on earth in Revelation chapter 11 as one of the two witnesses. But because uh, John the Baptist has this fiery kind of prophetic ministry here, they want to know, is this the Elijah that the prophets say is still going to reappear? And Gabriel, the angel, even said about John the Baptist, he will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. So they put it to him. Are you then Elijah? And he said, I am not. I'm not the actual Elijah. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah, but he's not the actual Elijah. And then they say, are you the prophet? Now, who are they referring to there? They probably are referring to a, a, something that Moses said in Deuteronomy 18:15. Moses said that God will raise up a prophet from among his own people like me. And, he, and Moses was speaking prophetically about Jesus. And so they're asking him, are you that prophet? He's like, he answers, he says, no. And finally they said, well, then who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Now, this is interesting. John here is going to quote from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, all the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
quote Isaiah regarding John. But this is the first time that John the Baptist actually quotes it about himself. And he replies here in verse 23, In the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So John is the forerunner. He's about six, when you do the math, he's about six months older than Jesus. He's related to Jesus. They are, best estimates, cousins. Jesus has not yet been revealed in his public ministry. That's what John the Baptist is about, preparing the hearts of the people. But now here, John the Baptist is about ready to point out who Jesus is. Look at verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, just pause there for a moment. John's baptism was not a baptism for salvation because Jesus had not yet even been introduced to the world, let alone died for the sins of the world. Water baptism that we practice today by immersion is identifying with the finished work of Jesus Christ. Then what kind of baptism was John doing if Jesus had not yet died on the cross? This was a pre-salvation baptism. This was preparing the hearts of the people. He was baptizing people who were recognizing their need looking forward to Messiah. We are baptized now by water, looking backwards to the cross, expressing our relationship with Messiah. This is a little different from the kind of baptism that we enjoy today. This is water baptism, but he's baptizing people. They're coming forward, they are confessing sin, and they are expressing their need looking forward to Messiah. So they're being water baptized, and John points out there in verse 29, look, the Lamb of God. So so Jesus is coming there in vicinity, and John points him out. Look, the Lamb of God. Only two times in the gospel is Jesus referred to as a lamb, and John mentions both of them, here in verse 29 and later in verse 36. And it is the most common term or title by which Jesus reveals himself in the book of Revelation. Thirty times in the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the lamb. Thirty times. And it's significant because the title that Jesus opts to refer to himself by more than any other title in the book of Revelation is the image and picture of the one who laid down his life for the sins of the world, the lamb, the one who was sacrificed for our sins. Verse 32, then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So John the Baptist saying here, you know, I, I myself needed divine revelation to know that Jesus is the Christ. I testify that the man on whom you see, God told me this, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Check it out. I find it very 
refreshing that the first one to mention the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a Baptist. John the Baptist. He says, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary's been going through the book of John. If you missed any part of this message, you can hear it again on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You might want to download our mobile app so you have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd love to meet you. Please join us for worship and Bible study. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other info on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We hope and pray you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of John. Please know that we're praying for you too. Although we're out of time for today, keep reading on your own in the book of John until Pastor Gary continues teaching through this extraordinary account of Jesus' life on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know.